Good morning, Hope Church. Good to see you. My name is Ross. I'm the senior pastor here. Thanks for joining us online. I have a longer walk because of trees now. Did you notice that? I didn't. Um, no, it's so good though. Anyways, I'm super excited for our Christmas season and uh, excited to be joining you this morning as we jump into a new series and all that. Uh, I just want to take a moment, uh, these next few minutes, I just want to have kind of like some family face-to-face together as we approach this Christmas season. As you know, after Thanksgiving, there's that shift. The The weekend of Thanksgiving comes, you're eating the leftovers, and then boom, the next day, it's Christmas, December 1st, you know? And we got our trees up and all of that. In our home, we set up our tree and everything uh, in the beginning of November. Uh, that's my wife's birthday time frame, and she just did that growing up. I love that we do that. I'm so glad that we take part in that because years before, even my family, when I was growing up, we set it up like a week before Christmas and then took it out down the week after. And it was just like, man, this is so much work. You know, I remember me and buddies living in college. Uh, we lived together in a house <clears throat> while we were going to college and we set up this tree like uh, days before we left for Christmas break. And it's like, yeah, it's cool. And then the day we got back, we're like, all right, let's take it down. We're like, this is so pointless. Why do we have a tree? I mean, the season, you know, the season is the reason. But I'm just, you know, the, the tree was just like, man, this is crazy. So so we see that ever so much more that we have these trees that we get to celebrate. No matter what the timeline that you get to celebrate the season that is Christmas and how beautiful a tree and magnificent it is, hopefully points you deeper to Christ. And in this, in this, uh, this morning, I wanted to invite you just to think about uh, the art of invitation in your life. You know, as we enter this Christmas season, as you know, each each year we have Christmas Eve services here at Hope Church. And through those services, um, we hope to impact as many as possible for the hope, with the hope of Jesus, uh, for the glory of God. And your invitation goes a long way in that. Not only by the way that you speak it to your friends, but maybe that you send that text and email, maybe that you go and, and simply invite and say, what are you doing on Christmas Eve? Do you want to join me? Uh, but so much so are the way you invite them to know Jesus like you do, to love him the way that you do, to be changed by him the way that you have been. Because we know that Jesus loves us, but he also loves your neighbor. He loves your friends at work. He loves your family members. He loves your family. And that beautiful reminder, we, we see it on display through Christmas, through the way that Jesus, our Savior, has come to us through our celebration of his birth. And so in that, I wanted you to just take a moment and hear a testimony of someone at our church that was brought by invitation, similar like that, uh, to just join and see what God was doing uh, and, and then doing for their lives. Take, it, take a listen to this. I could have never imagined that because of one person inviting me to Hope Church, that my faith and relationship with Christ would become what it is today. Twelve years ago, I was struggling with my faith. I knew who God was, but I did not know his word. I wasn't attending any church at the time, but I had a friend who invited me to hope. I declined. She invited me several times after that, and finally I said I would come. I said yes because I trusted her and I knew she had something that I admired. I now know it was her relationship with Christ. Because of her simple invitation, I'm blessed with being involved in church through serving, attending life groups, and most importantly, coming to know God more intimately through his word. God used her to lead me exactly where I needed to be. I am forever grateful. Amen. So a testimony like that sparked from an invitation to, to join such as a church, but it not only goes that far. This person in their life actually invested time and energy 
to share the hope of Christ with them, to, to love them along the journey, to invite them into a body of believers that grow to know Christ together, that grow to seek him in unity. And so in this season, I wanted to just show you just two ways in which we're hoping you take a Timson invitation. The first one's this. There's invitation cards right in the lobby that you can grab and take. And I pray you take a few and just pray and begin to ask God, who, God, would you put on my heart? Who, God, would you put in my sight? Let me see them as you do. The image bearers of you, whom you love, that, that I can invite to grow to know you more by either personal testimony or even invitation to Christmas Eve. And the second is a little bit more creative. Um, they're both creative, but you'll get it in a second. We've, this season, our, our staff just prayed and said, okay, God, what would be another step in this season? And we know in the tri-states, you uh, got to drive to get anywhere. And in this season, we said, what if we went out and canvassed the city with yard signs of invitations? That we invited you to take a yard sign, plant it in your yard. And for those who walk by, if they're brave enough to, to you know, get, in, get through the weather, but for those who drive by, uh, and see your home, but see a testimony of invitation straight on your yard. We would encourage you. On the screen here, you'll see uh, just kind of a map of what we've uh, let go of so far. We've invited our uh, heavy volunteer leaders throughout the week that are either Hope Kids, uh, Student Night, um, all these other volunteers through uh, early elementary to be a part of this. And we wanted to extend the invitation to the rest of the church too. That maybe you uh, live in an area that has a star already. That's fine. You can grab one plant it in your yard, but maybe as we attempt to canvas a city with invitation, you see a place in Dubuque that's empty, uh, that you want to be a light of invitation in your neighborhood's life, in your neighbor's life by a simple yard sign. No pressure, but if you'd like to, we would encourage you to do that. They'll be out in the lobby before you leave today, or if you think about it, you need a week to think about it or two. If you choose not to, that's okay too. But maybe begin praying this week, who might I need to invite to Christmas Eve with me? Who might I need to invite first and foremost to know Jesus? like I do. And I hope that would be on the, 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 in the depths of your heart throughout this season. I love this image because there's so many more uh, signs that there are stars, but we found out the more stars we put, the more the picture turned into a star. We're like, we're so encouraged by our volunteers who we were just nudging and encouraging as we saw them weekly, uh, but excited to start the season with, with the rest of everyone else too. And so I wanted to just close in prayer this moment uh, as we focused on the invitation, rooted in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this from Paul. He says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And this morning, my prayer for us, for our church, for myself, is that I would take on the ownership of being an ambassador of Christ who is within me, who has set me on mission to, to show people him, to invite people into his love, his mercy, his grace, his goodness in this season. And so let me pray for us together collectively in that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for um, using us, for uh, just uh, using us in this way to invite others to know you. God, I thank you for um, this season that we were able to just reflect on the birth of Christ and the beautiful display of your love, your mercy, your grace, wrapped up in a gift, which was you in the flesh and Jesus the Son. And so God, as we walk throughout these next many weeks up to Christmas Eve and reflect on that and see pictures of you in that, I pray, God, that you would uh, cut, to the, cut to the heart, that you would remind us of our mission, that you would remind us of our purpose in you, that you would give us courage and boldness to, to reach out, to extend an invitation for those to come to know you. For your glory alone, God, and it's not to fill our church body uh, uh, for ourselves, for 
what we could say we've done, but God, solely for what you would do, for what you can do, for what you have done and are doing here. So God, I pray you humble our hearts and yet let us reflect on being ambassadors in you. And that, God, you are making your appeal through us, that we are able to share our testimony of faith in hopes that others see you, grow to know you, and trust you like we have. So, God, we thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for your grace uh, and, and just for your goodness to use us in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Um, so, as we jump into this series, we're going to jump into time in God's word. I, uh, we're starting a series called Pictures of Jesus. And if you think about it quickly, pictures are really important to us. Most likely in your home, in your apartment, wherever you live, or even at your workplace, there's photos on the wall, photos at your desk. And they're rather important to us for a few really, really specific reasons. One, they put us back in the places that we were, and they give us image of the people that were in our life then, uh, maybe those who have passed away or even those who are still living with us today. They give us that hope and joy of the moment that when we see it, we're like, man, we cherish that moment so much so we took a picture and kept it. We're in a season now like of, of culture that pictures come more often through digital means than like printed means, you know what I'm saying? Like most likely we have more pictures digitally than like physically now, most likely. I mean, I know I do. But when I was growing up, you know, it was primarily just pictures by print. I didn't get my first cell phone until like junior, junior year of high school. And I know that just put me on the radar. You guys are like, hey, you're, you're so old. Some of you students and kids in here, like I had a cell phone in fifth grade, you know, you're so old. And then some of you are like, you are such a peewee. And I hear you. Uh, you're a kid. I know. I, okay. Because you're like, I didn't get a cell phone until I was in my 20s or 30s or elsewhere. But either way, although it's shifted, those images, those pictures still mean a lot to us. And I think of this one as my daughter, Della. When she was a baby, we took, my wife surprised me, and she took these pictures of her and printed them. And she's holding a DAD. It took me forever to realize she only brought, bought one D for this image. I was like, I was like, I see all the pieces. I'm like, where's the other D? She's like, okay, okay, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, DAD. I just used the same one save money. I'm like, okay, whatever. I just wanted it. I just wanted it. No, I'm just kidding. But I think that she's much wiser than me. Um, but I think as far as that, you know, this image brings me back to when Della was this small, uh, to just, she was my first, you know, first kid. She's my daughter. And, um, just how joyful she was to experience the world, how cool and cute and chubby she was. Um, I do immediately think of the times that I, I wasn't sleeping and stuff like that, but that'll go away over time. And this will really focus on that. So, so not only do pictures show me that, but pictures also have an ability to point us forward. If you think of that, your family members uh, who you have on your wall and you, you cherish those times that you had with them, it gives you that hope and joy to cherish them again with them in the future. Or maybe you have photos of family members who have passed away or friends. I, I know my student pastor passed away, like my personal one from back home a few years ago now, and I have an image of him. And, and what it gives me is the joy and the hope to, I know that I'll see him again, but also to keep on striving on in faithfulness like him. See, even in the ones that our friends or family we've lost or the ones that we have now, we cherish those images that bring us joy and hope to press forward. And in this series, Pictures of Jesus, what we're wanting to capture through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, um, this, these di di different pictures, these different aspects of the Savior to come, of Jesus to come. 
and how they're uh, different in some ways, but in unity together, showing this its glorious masterpiece of what God has done, of what God has delivered, of what God has given as a great gift, but what God has done in his goodness and his mercy, by his grace and much more that we hope through this series that you see pictures of Jesus, that we can reflect on his goodness, yet be filled with hope for what he will continue to do and do to come. So this morning, I want to show you, we're going to start in the book of Matthew. I want to show you um, how Matthew paints this portrait of Jesus in, in two different ways. And the first one's this, if you're taking notes, it's Jesus is the king who reigns forever. He reigns forever. As we open Matthew, really quickly, we were hit with what's called a genealogy list, a lineage of, of people, of, uh, you know, specific titles. And, and Matthew's full of this. See, only Matthew and Luke contain a genealogy, such as we read in Matthew 1, uh, you know, through 16 here. And it's unique. It's important. And why are genealogies and lineage of family so important? Well, they're important because they tell us of where we were before, who we who our family was before. It impresses on then who we are now. And some of us in the room, we have these long lines of families who we still have grandfathers who are with us or great-grandfathers. And we're like, yeah, this cherished patriarch, this person, or great-grandmothers, this motherly uh, grandmother who who just carries this consistent pattern of faithfulness, goodness in our family. And, And in genealogies, they're important in Christ's time too. But if we reflect in a little bit more important way, because what what Matthew's showing us here is that Jesus is the king who reigns forever. And if you think of a king uh, being an heir to a throne, their lineage to get there is, ex- is super important. That this lineage would show that they are the rightful king. They're the rightful heir to this throne. That they're in the right place and everything holds up. And that's the point in which Matthew's getting to here. That Jesus, when he is to come, he is the rightful place. He's the rightful king. He's the one in which God has placed and has given to us. Here in Matthew 1, 1 through 2, we'll start there. It says this, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And so we see beginning in this stating Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, son of Abraham, these patriarchs of the faith we know today, but yet this lineage genealogy of what is to come and Jesus heiring to the king. To, to, to the lordship, to the being the king, the, the entering the kingdom forever. Matthew 1, 16, it, it can concludes. And if you read between verses 2 and 16, you'll see this list of names you might recognize, names you might not, names you might be like, I don't even know how to say that name. We should probably go back and start naming our kids more biblically so we can like learn them. You know, that'd be kind of cool. My wife, wherever she's at, we should do that. Next kid, if we have a next kid, we're not, we're not pregnant or anything. Let me just say that out loud. We're not, no. But like, if we do have another kid, we should try one of these names, naming them after a bad idea, maybe, I don't know. But, but, but either way, you know, in this picture, we're seeing this, this beautiful line. And then it, in, in Matthew 1, 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. And so we see that, that same statement, Messiah, Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham, given from Jacob, the father of Joseph, then Joseph, right, to be married to Mary, Mary to bear Jesus. And we see in this lineage, just briefly for us today, but if you read through it, 
this magnificent way of which God shows us the plan in which Jesus take place on the throne. This isn't just for keeping records. Matthew knows that. See, Matthew before this was a tax collector called Levi at some times, and tax collectors were known. They must have been, they, they must be really good at Greek, really well, like, like literate and really well organized. If you think of like a tax person is really well organized, hopefully for your taxes, you would want that. Think of our governing system and how they do taxes. You maybe could say a lot about the government, but you know, in taxes, they're pretty well organized. If they know you owe, you will find out. They know exactly how much. That's really good because we, we, we should give them the taxes that are warranted, what they, what they request. We, we need to do that under their governing. But, but in that, oftentimes they may not tell us how much they give up, need to give us. You know, we got to do our taxes to figure that out. But regardless, tax people were very, very, very literate and well-organized. So it's not a surprise that, that Matthew gives us that. And in that context, we see this reality of genealogy, this lineage of the king to come. Matthew is showing us the beauty of, of God to be on display in Jesus. And we see that even in the prophecy to come. In Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The beautiful piece about this prophecy is we get to see it in fulfillment through Jesus. But in that, we see the king that is coming, that, that the government will be on his shoulders. He will be the governing authority, that he will reign on David's throne as and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it. And then later on, it says forever. And so we see Matthew's introducing us, setting up for us this, this, this reign of Jesus, that is, that he is the rightful king. He is the one who reigns forever. There will be no other kings after him. He is the one. He is the one who reigns forever. A gift of grace. A gift to us. And what would he be called? Isaiah tells us, wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Showing God's great power through Jesus, our Savior. That true authority be given to him to govern. We're reminded in the end of Matthew, this reality in Matthew 28, which sets disciples on mission, commissioning them to go. Jesus says these words, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is in his rightful throne. He is the kingly rule. Therefore go. And he sins. And he commands. He's everlasting father, Isaiah says. Through Jesus, we experience patience of God the Father. We experience his goodness and compassion and love for us in him. He's the Prince of Peace. Jesus, who gives us eternal peace by his death on the cross. If we're reminded in Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through King Jesus, for he is here to reign forevermore in the rightful place given by God to us. See, if we think of peace, we're probably quick to understand we need more of it in our lives. Think like we need more of it in our own personal lives when we start personal, but we need more of it in our world. We need more of it in our family situations. We need more of it in our neighborhoods. 
And yet we see Jesus is by the means which God offers peace on earth for me and you, between solely God and us, but also to be peacemakers as we walk with him, as we trust in him, as he impacts our lives for his greater glory, for his goodness, that this governing peace would reign forever. Behold, the king is here. His name is Jesus. He's on his throne. He's the one who rules forever. So not only that we see this portrait in Matthew of Jesus as the king to come then, but that we know is here now. Point number two today is Jesus is the king who saves. So not only this kingly rule, which takes a commanding, mighty God, powerful rule, governing that he has brought peace, that he is the king who then saves. Each of the Gospels besides Mark record this birth story, and, and today we're going to read a, a picture of that, that that we find in Matthew. The interesting part about Matthew's uh, perspective, though, it's a little bit different. In Luke, you'll see a little bit more of a specific birth story in some great detail. In Matthew, though, he comes from the perspective of Joseph, which is really rather important and, and, and just eye-opening. As I read it over and over these last few weeks, I was just seeing these very beautiful displays of the, the perspective of Joseph and what he was walking through faithfully there too. It drew up to me this like kind of funny reality. Like if you think of it, whenever we had our three kids, um, you know, people would often ask me, you know, Ross, how did everything go? Tell us the whole scenario. And from my perspective as the guy, I'm like, you know, I try to think of the details, but I'm like, you know, she's, she's pregnant. And then like, there's a time we went to the hospital and then she like, the doctors came in and did things and then she had the baby and then I cried and then we held the baby and then like I went and got a cold cut sandwich for her because she hadn't had one in like a long time. I got a burger from five guys, you know, and then after that I didn't sleep for a few days, but it was like so great, you know, like, like my perspective so different. Oftentimes I begin telling that story and immediately they're like, Okay, you're not the guy I was thinking of some different details I'd like to know. So I'm going to go to Noelle. And, you know, she is like, you know, they gave me this, you know, this kind of treatment. They checked on this thing and this thing and they did this. And then at this point, this happened. I was feeling like this. That's such great perspective. Both are beautiful in their own ways, but in different detail, right? And in this scenario, we, we see eight verses in which Matthew walks through this story, this birth of Jesus to come. This is how it came about. In Luke, we see a totally different picture, image, and much more detail, but in same unity and same focus of Jesus and how he came about, both important, but uniquely different. And here's what I love about this one. If we read it together in Matthew 1, 18, we're going to start there, go to verse 25. If we read it together, we'll see the beauty that is, that, that is from Joseph's perspective here. 18 says this, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because you will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You know, what strikes me quickly in this passage is the faithfulness of Joseph. That I think this perspective is really important to see the obedience required in our life to trust God with literally everything. But Joseph at this time, at the beginning of the, uh, of the, uh, of the writing here, He's pledged to be married, and then she's found pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And you think but that whole reality wasn't just normal then, that he would have been like, oh, yeah, it's just normal. Okay, like God said this. Okay, it seems a custom. You got to imagine this is just as, as wild in this scenario as it would be now. That this moment of God beginning to show himself incarnate through Jesus and birthing him as the Savior of the world would have been this shell-shocking reality. A Joseph, a man who's, who's committed, who is faithful, but yet wants to do his very best, is in this moment of contention. And he knows his heart loves Mary and cares. And so it's like, I, I'm going to do things quietly that, that adhere the law, but yet an angel comes and tells him different. And what, if, what is his response? Obedience. If you've been with us for a handful of months now, we, we've walked through, uh, you know, just different books of the Bible, specifically this last summer in Jonah, if you remember Jonah's response to a message from the Lord is he ran, right? We see this fullness of Joseph and his faithfulness that he didn't run, he didn't fear, he didn't turn away. And maybe there was uh, confusion and much more that, that we don't see here in this passage explicitly, but we know specific that he just, he didn't turn away, he turned to. He said, I'm going to remain faithful to God, obedient to him. I'm going to trust him And in this world, for this context, that would be with everything. With everything. Because he knows from this this projection of his life at this point, his entire life would change if he sticks faithful, committed, and he's in. I was praying this last week, God, make me like that. I was praying for our church and saying, God, make our church, every person, the body of Christ like that obedient and faithful, no matter how culturally crazy it seems, no matter how uh, the world may view it culturally different, but God make me faithful. We see in this, this story, the birth story, it illuminates this true reality of, of, of Jesus' identity. So two things, his identity and his mission. Let's sit on identity for a moment. In identity, he's not just Jesus, he's the Messiah. So if we go back to the beginning of this passage, Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, and she was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So this word Messiah is rather important. It's not just an extra, you know, fun word we put before uh, Jesus or after Jesus is the Messiah. We don't just put it there. We don't just say it out of just, you know, hopefulness. It is what it, what it is. It's an anointed one. When we reference Messiah, he's the anointed one, the anointed king to come. So Jesus, the Messiah, that statement is rather important. And they would read it as such then. The Messiah, the one we know is to come sometime, and now here he is. The anointed one, the one from God. And we see that statement in two different parts, in verse 18 and verse 20, right? From the angel of the Lord saying it, and then Matthew's account. Matthew's account says, Jesus, the Messiah. The angel of the Lord says, do not be, because what, what, what he is akin to was the Holy Spirit. That Joseph, don't be afraid to take your wife, that he is the Messiah, 
that he is God in the flesh. See, God the Father, through this reality of Jesus' identity, has sent the Son to us. As Isaiah had said, delivered God to be with us. And in verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we don't have all the time today, but this specific section is beginning to get into the doctrine of incarnation. How then we see Jesus as fully man, birthed to Mary, but yet fully God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Within these two tensions, we see the beauty of who Jesus is. God with us. God with me. God with you. That he came effectively relationally, um, lovingly, humbly, as a man, but as fully God. So not only an identity, but the mission we see of Jesus here. As Jesus, he came to save his people from their sins. In, in Matthew one twenty one, it says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because, why? He will save his people from their sins. See, it's important that as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, or if you're, you're still figuring that out and you're uncertain of who God is and uh, you're new here or you're new to the faith, that's totally fine too. But either way, the, the concept of sin is really important for us to really understand. If we think of sin and, and to save people from their sin, see, sin is not just a mere like bad behavior we do or something we've accidentally done sometimes, because if it was only solely that, we could just do more things to try not to do those things. You know, if we have a bad behavior and it's only that, we could just be like, okay, I'm just going to stop the bad behavior and thus I'm not sinful anymore. But, but sin's way bigger than that. See, sin, uh, Romans 3.23 reminds us, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. See, sin is rejection of God fully in our lives, in our persons. It's a rejection, rejection of his kingly rule, rejection of him in our lives, fully. So not just bad behavior, but rejecting him. See, sin is when we think we know better, when we decide what's right and wrong for ourselves. See, sin is when we choose what brings us true life, and we indulge in that. See, sin is to know what we really need apart from God, fully. Like, God must not really know. So our sin, what it does in our life is it personally attempts to place us on the throne as kings and queens of our own life, saying, I'm the governing person. I'm, I'm the one in which knows all, knows me, and thus I don't need God. That's sin. That's a rejection. So, so quite frankly, it's more than anything we can just do and hope to get out of on our own. And God knows that. And so in this passage, when he says, because he will save people from their sins, it's this great triumphant entry of a king who reigns and rules, but a king who saves you, saves me. That, that by no means we can put together ourselves, by nothing we can bring. And I love in 1 Peter, uh, this reality of nothing that we have. It says this in 1 Peter 1.18, for you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed. So nothing we can pay for. We can't go to our bank accounts. We can't go to our home things. We can't do anything perishable. We can't pay for it. But the, the passage continues. But, not from perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, but from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But, 
It was paid for with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The precious blood of Christ. That's his plan. That's his trajectory. That's his, his mission is to save me and you from sin, to save me and you from that rejection, to save me and you from that disconnect, that, that divide between us and God. Because we can't know him, grow in him, trust in him with being the own kings and queens of our own life. We, we, can't, we can't do that. It is impossible to serve ourselves and rule ourselves and be under his ruling authority as king. Where Matthew shows us this picture of Jesus as the king who reigns and the king who saves, it helps us frame out what Christmas is all about. And you think of this season as the joy and happiness and goodness that you experience through many activities and fun things you do with family. That's really great. And that's so, so powerful for us to celebrate Christmas in those traditional ways we've built for our families. But yet, you know what brings the true joy and the true hope to those experiences? is the root of Christ. It's him. It's his goodness. It's, it's his, it's his king, kingly rule in our life. It's his lordship to save. And as we experience his mission and then step into the Christmas season, we really find the fullness of it all. We find that it's more than just a holiday that we get off work. It's more than just the presence under the tree. It's more than just time with you and me, but it's a time in which we're able to celebrate the King that has come, his rule in our life, but yet also his mission to save us, his mission to rule and lead us into further life with him. So as you experience this season, my prayer for you would be to consider this. As Jesus, who is King over all, have you trusted Jesus as Savior of your life? That as he is on his throne, he is King over all, and Matthew paints us that picture, have you trusted him as Savior? See, what's so unique is to trust Jesus as King and Savior in your life means to surrender everything to give him all things, to take yourself from a place of ruling on your own to becoming second and sitting under his rule and his way, to trust him in every way like Joseph did. If we think of Matthew, when he uh, left tax collecting to follow Jesus, he left everything for him, for Christ. So is Christ king over all, is he savior in your life? And that is a sole choice for you. A prayer you can pray today and what scripture says, believing and confessing in Jesus, that which leads to eternal life, but life that you can experience now, life that you can experience in his joy and hope that he delivers now for what is to come, but even what you experience today. The road isn't promised to be easy. The road isn't promised to be perfect, but yet as we are faithful, the road is promised to be worth it. That living for him is worth it. That, that, that striving to, to, to seek him is worth it. His way is worth it, for he is the king who loves and cares and tenderly shepherds us. But you must say yes and allow him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word, and I pray that uh, God above all else, um, our thoughts even, uh, through me, God, that you would have said some mighty things to us. 
that uh, in this season of Christmas, maybe we need to reshift our focus to focusing on you, Jesus, and the true reason for the season. We may say that often and in passing, but truly to focus on your lordship, your kingly rule in our life, and maybe even so much so that we need to give that kingly rule to you in our life, that the mission you've set has been completed in full that we get to experience today, that you've died on the cross for our sins, that we may confess and believe in you, Jesus, that you died and raised from the grave for our sin, confessing our sins that we're sinful, that, that we've rejected you, and yet now, God, you give us eternal life in you. So, Lord, may we grow tender-hearted to be readjusted by you, to focus on you, to receive you. And we're so grateful, God, in this season we get to celebrate a good gift from you of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.